0: Matthew chapter 21 Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied, a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone said anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a beast of, of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on, the, on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out into the city, to Bethany, and lodged there. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it, But only leaves. And he said to her, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at
1: once.
0: When the disciples saw it, they marvelled, saying, How did that the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whenever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority?
1: Well, uh, please keep your Bibles open and uh, pick up uh, the service sheet which should have a quick outline. Um, of what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, Faramaz, would you mind putting on the lights in the back of the hall? It's great to have you with us, Irene, as well. Um, Welcome. You're joining us remotely. That's great. Well, this is the moment we've been waiting for. Jesus is entering Jerusalem and entering the temple. It's a pretty big moment. Uh, all the way through Matthew's gospel, uh, we've been hearing that Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem. And uh, in, in Matthew chapter 11, Malachi first chapter 3 said that John the Baptist would be the messenger who goes before Jesus to prepare the way, and then the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. That's the prophecy that's being, that's being fulfilled here. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, You know, I I don't know if you watch any of those sports where people uh, have entrance music. Um, They do it, oddly enough, in snooker. I mean, snooker is like the, the least kind of, you know, aggressive, confrontational sport there is, isn't there? Uh, But they do it in snooker, they do it in boxing, they do it in wrestling. And uh, there'll be an entrance song. And and it's picked by the person who is the competitor. And it's designed to say something about who they are. You know, it's what they want you to know about them. Usually that they're tough, that they're going to win. All of that kind of thing. I think Rocky is quite a um, a, a common one, chosen by people. Um, Here, Jesus is entering Jerusalem. He's entering the ring and his entrance music the one that he chooses for himself is Zechariah 9 and that's what's in uh, verse 5 say to the daughter of Zion behold your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the foal of a beast of burden this is undoubtedly a reference that says speaks about the messiah the christ all of the Jewish people would know, this is a, a reference to the Christ. Uh, a prophecy in the Old Testament that said, here's the Christ, the anointed one, the king, who is coming. And uh, it says, doesn't it, well, it's, it's staged, so he, he has the visual to back that up as well, because he's on the back of a donkey. So he wants people to see that he's the Messiah. But it's a very carefully chosen scripture. Because if you look at that, the, those verses... What does it say about this king? What's the first word it says about him? Humble. Humble, okay. Very carefully chosen because this isn't the kind of king that, you know, was was beating his chest and saying, you know, um, I'm going to defeat everyone. It is the king who's going to do that. But Jesus carefully chose this uh, entrance song, this visual for the crowds, because he is the humble king. And that's completely different to what they were looking for. They wanted someone to overthrow the Romans to, to, to basically lead a rebellion. And that's the kind of Messiah that they thought they could have. Can I show you that from this passage? So in Psalm, uh, in um, verse 9, what's the song that the crowd would have for Jesus' entrance? Well, it's Psalm 118. And they say, Hosanna to the son of David. Which... Because of all that's gone before, with the blind men, you'd think, that's, that's a good start. They know he's the son of David. They know he's the king. Um, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, these would have been normal songs that people would have sung on their way up to Passover. And they're taken from a group of psalms that are victory psalms. Basically, God is going to smash all our enemies. Um, and they meant, that. they meant that to mean the Romans. Um, Hosanna is more of a na- uh, nationalistic kind of thing. It's, it's, it's similar of thing to God bless America kind of thing. You know, it's just like, we're, we're Israel. Um, so actually, we're going to go to that first point, which is, there's a lot of hype here, but G- Jesus is going to discover there's no fruit. As in, there's a lot to see that looks like there's faith, but when he goes to find the fruit of faith, there's nothing there. I asked you to think about that question about the fig tree. What, what's the similarity between the fig tree and Israel? Um, that's under this point. So we're going to look at that in a minute. So we look at verses 8 to 13. Under that first point. It says this, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the, ground, on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. Do you make it a den of robbers. First impressions can be misleading, can't they? First impressions can be misleading. And this first impression of the crowds and Jerusalem is misleading. Matthew describes the journeying crowd. They've just seen Jesus mirac- miraculously heal two blind men. And there's genuine excitement, isn't there? And as I said, they picked the song, the victory song, Psalm 18, 118. But the anticlimax comes quite quickly, doesn't it? As soon as they enter, uh, get to the get to the city, uh, in verse 10, because it says that when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. That's the first thing we're told. We're told that um, that they were disturbed. Really, that's the word that's used. It's actually the same word that's used when the Magi entered the, the city to look, uh, to look for the baby Jesus. And Herod and all the city were stirred by that question. Who is the king? So it's, it's a bad impression that we get. It's a disturbance. And then we hear the city responded. What do they say? In verse 10? Who, who is this? <laughs> okay. Who is this? So there's complete ignorance and unbelief. They, they just didn't know who it was. Despite all of the references, they, you know, they didn't even know who Jesus was. They have to ask. So there's a, there's a lot of hype, but there's a lot of ignorance about Jesus. Because if you see the response they're given, the answer they're given, who is this? This is the prophet Jesus. Jesus. Well, okay, in other places Jesus is the prophet um, that's true but then from Nazareth or Galilee it more has the kind of ring of local hero than king over all Israel your king the king of all nations it's, 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 it's partly true but wholly inadequate isn't it to call him just this is a prophet from Nazareth and so it, all all of this hype, all of this excitement, and yet there's no fruit. What does Jesus do when he enters the temple in verse 12? Well, he drives out everyone who's there. And he clears out everything that's in that court. Pretty striking, isn't it? Jesus is decisive and he just acts. He just, you know. And it's it's condemning, really, what's going on. Jesus condemns both those selling and those buying in the outer court. Okay, He doesn't just say that the people selling are the den of robbers. He's saying that the whole thing is wrong. He's not saying it because the things they're doing are wrong, because they would have had to buy livestock for the sacrifice. This is Passover, where they sacrificed an animal in, in remembrance of what God did in Egypt, passing over the firstborn, the, the lamb that they were meant to put around the, uh, the doorposts. So they had to do that. Jesus is not objecting to what they're doing, but he's objecting to it being done there, in my house. And, and we'll see what the problem is with that. What does he say? of their actions where it says he said to them verse 13 it is written my house should be called a house of prayer but you make it a den of robbers that's actually a bit of a combination quote there's isaiah and jeremiah in there Um, and uh, they're both large prophets aren't they big prophets to israel and they both spoke about false worship and this is the point jesus is saying their worship is false Whatever they're doing is just false. It means nothing to them. They claim to honour God, and they're doing something that is showing that they honour God, but they don't really honour God. Those two prophets spoke about uh, about empty worship, and Jesus doesn't have to look much further than the outer court, does he? He doesn't have to go any further into the temple. He just goes through the first wall to see that their worship is empty. How can you see that? What was the outer court used, meant to be used for? Okay, the outer court was actually the only place in the temple where the, the nations non-Jews could go. They just couldn't go any further than that. Um, and yet they put it to another use. Any other use would have done, had the same effect. They'd put the animals in there, the, the trading of the animals. Now, you might say that this makes perfect business sense, mightn't you, because you think Passover's a busy time, the streets are cramped. We've got all this space here. Why not just bring the animals in? More space, more market, more money. Makes perfect business sense. But it is the equivalent of Jesus coming in here and trying to find our, our gospel tracts and unearthing them under a big pile of giving forms. Yeah? That would say something about our priorities as a church, wouldn't it? That would say that you know, our income, whatever it is that we want, is more important than people coming to know Jesus. Um, and that's, that's a big thing. they moved out, they pushed out, the Gentiles. Um, the quote from Jeremiah, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 7. And we'll read from verse 8 to 11, which includes that, that little reference to the den of robbers. Um, so let's read that. Jeremiah says, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Now this is just a snapshot of that chapter. Um, But you can see that what they're doing the rest of the time brings dishonour to God. And yet they think that for coming to the temple, that the temple is some kind of magic box where you just go and suddenly you're honouring God. And it's pretty clear that they're not wanting to honour God (laughs) because they don't care about his honour among the nations one bit they just couldn't care less maybe it happened over time surely but they just didn't care about the honour of God among the nations and so for all the appearance of honouring God uh, with the religious practice of sacrifice attending the temple they weren't honouring God they didn't actually know God. Because to know God is to know his heart and to share his priorities and to become more like him. And I guess if, if we say that we're Christians and we don't share the priorities that God has for his glory among the nations, um, then we're doing exactly the same thing. Well, just like the fig tree... Shall we read about the fig tree? It says in verse 18 of chapter 21, go back to Matthew. In the morning, as Jesus was returned to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. What's the similarity? There's all leaves. But there's no fruit. This is, a, this is a vivid picture to the disciples of, of Israel, Jerusalem. Actually, there's a lot of appearance of devotion to God, but there's no real fruit of their faith. And so it's not really faith. No, it's not saving faith. Um, so uh, they've made the temple a den of robbers, which is a quote, as we've seen from Jeremiah 7. They were not just robbing the Gentiles of what belonged to them. They were actually robbing God of the glory that belonged to him. Jesus waits until the next day and then in verse 12, he gets to work, doesn't he? And this is amazing. Jesus doesn't ask for permission. He just goes about what he has the right to do, what he has the authority to do in the temple. He completely cuts past anyone who would say, we are the authority of the temple here. And he just he just does it. And you can see his, his righteous anger at what's going on, his desire, his, his, his zeal for people to come to know his father. He, he goes and he just clears the whole place out. Can you imagine that? (laughs) On the busiest day, the Passover day, in a Jewish capital, and Jesus is basically closing down the temple because in Mark's Gospel it says that he would not allow anyone in or out. They couldn't even pass through the outer court. It's pretty striking, isn't it? Jesus has that authority and he exercises it here. He says, My house shall be called a house of prayer. Notice in verse 14 that the blind and the lame come immediately. They come in. And he heals them. And when the chief priests and scribes come looking for him the very next day in verse 23, what's what's he doing there? He's teaching them. This is exactly what pleases God. The nations coming in hearing the wonders of God and putting their trust in him that's God's heart and Jesus shows us what God is like he is God himself he brings people in to know God so it's worth seeing isn't it that the temple here Jesus is just showing what the temple was always made to be and yet actually he's, you know, within a short time he's going to show that the temple is now obsolete, like it's finished. Because actually he, he um, replaces the temple. The temple was only ever to show what Jesus would come and do in bringing people to God. It's a bit of, get, bit of getting your head around because the temple is a physical place with, a, you know, with stones. Jesus said, the temple is my body, which is broken. And in doing that, he would bring, give people access to God his death and we're going to look at the fact that Jesus says the temple is everywhere his people are because he dwells in them so we are his temple we're going to see that in just a moment but what does Jesus do well he, he gets going doesn't he and actually by doing this you can imagine that Jesus is both exercising his authority his own authority as the great high priest as God himself but he's also condemning their bad stewardship. So the priests... You know, this is massively provocative, isn't it? He's basically like coming in and saying, you're not doing your job properly. In fact, you're not doing your job at all. Move aside. <laughs> so let's look at that second bullet point, hypocrisy. This is where the question comes in. They say, by what authority, in verse 23... After all that they've seen Jesus do, they're still asking, by what authority are you doing these things, Jesus? That's the big clash. It's Jesus. The battleground is Jesus. Jesus, who are you? And what gives you the right? You know, we have the authority, and you're challenging our authority, Jesus. Because they think they're agents of God, don't they? But their refusal to listen both to the prophets that came before and now to Jesus proves they're not. They don't have that authority. Um, Let's look at that verse 23. And when they entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to Jesus as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? This challenge actually begins the longest section of conversation between jesus and the chief priests and leaders so it's not it's it's specifically those who are leading israel now and that follows from verse 23 all the way through the whole of chapter 23 so we're going to go in detail into the 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 conflict here that question of are you are you in charge jesus or you know we or are we in charge can i show you a bit of what we're going to see uh, so in verse 23, there comes that question of authority. The rest of chapter 21 and part of chapter 22, Jesus is that observation. Um, what does that put on the sheet here? Exploration. Exploration. Um, Jesus tells three parables to explore their stance against God and to expose them. Then in the next, the rest of chapter 22, I've already told you about this, the the three questions that they come to Jesus with, which is confrontation, and his final question for them in the end of that chapter. And then the ultimatum, Jesus is only speaking in chapter 23, because he is the one who gives the ultimate judgment. And so it is going to be a pretty challenging read (laughs) to hear. I think we're going to see the stubbornness of unbelief. And it will show where it always leads. It always leads to death and judgment. Which, if we go back to Matthew 21, is what he says about the fig tree, isn't it? As Jesus curses the fruitless fig tree, because it it gave the appearance of relationship with God, faith, but no fruit, no desire for the glory of God or the honour of God among the nations he curses it and it withers overnight it dies and actually if that's a picture of Jerusalem well actually Jerusalem is going to fall within it's 70 AD within 40 years or whatever of this time their desire for violence and someone who will overthrow Rome is actually going to cause their downfall so they'll fail in the attempt to, to 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 a coup and to you know take over And they'll be smashed to pieces. The temple, Jesus says in verse twenty four chapter twenty-four, verse one, he says, Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So the temple is is over, it's finished. That way that people can have access to God is finished. But he is the temple, he is the one that the temple was pointing to. And people can access, have access to him, or to God, through, through the Son, to the Father. You know, that, you know that scene where they choose Barabbas, who is a hardened criminal, who is a violent man, who led a revolution. A re, uh, what do they call him, like a resurrectionist or... Insurrectionist, yeah. Um, they choose him, the violent guy, over Jesus. Kind of gives you a picture of what they want. They want, they think we're going to take, we can do things ourselves. We just need someone to to lead the charge. Um, And they didn't see that they needed a humble king who would die for them. What they thought they needed was might and not mercy. What they thought they needed was someone to take up arms, not to take up a cross. So they weren't interested in this king. Because he didn't fit what they thought they needed. Um, and yet he would die on the cross. So that they could come to know. The father for themselves. Um, so we see, we're going to see a bit more of that. Confrontation playing out in the next couple of weeks. Well so let's, let's have a think about this now. Uh, this question of fruitlessness. This question of faith. And yet. No desire for the glory of God for the honor of God, if this has challenged you, which I guess it probably has to see Jesus like this, can I encourage you to respond to this because it does put a picture of Jesus that just it isn 't very comfortable, is it it 's not meant to be comfortable he 's uncomfortable because he challenges and turns things over and exposes our hearts and says. You know, there's a lot of activity going on, but where's your heart? Is it done out of honour for God, or is it just out of honour for self? And he he does challenge us. So, maybe, like Jerusalem, you've overlooked Jesus before. Maybe you've missed him entirely, because he's not what you thought you needed, what you were looking for in a leader. It might be because you had a preconceived idea of him. Perhaps what others have got wrong about him. So you just thought, okay, well, they tell me this. They told me he's a prophet. I'm just going to believe he's a prophet. It's, it's inadequate. Jesus demonstrates authority that only God has. Can we see now how far short those descriptions fall of the real thing? Jesus can't just be a messenger. His actions in the temple demonstrate divine authority. He is the Lord God who has come to his house, to his temple. Maybe the first thing to do would be to admit that you've got Jesus wrong. Ask to know him as he really is. And from what is said about him in the Bible. That would be a great prayer. And a simple prayer. Maybe you've been hearing the Bible lots and have been going to church. My guess is we don't really want to think of Jesus like this, do we? makes us feel uncomfortable. He sees past hypocrisy. (laughs) That makes us feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? He sees our hearts. He'll not simply just affirm our efforts or give us a few tips. He'll tear the whole thing down. So if Jesus really has, if you've seen Jesus for who he is, he'll tear down the whole assumption about who you are, about your own goodness before God, about your own access to God. He'll tear the whole thing down. He'll put an end to our performance, however convincing it is to others. That's pretty frightening, isn't it? Jesus hates hypocrisy. He hates hypocrisy not least because it leads us to face his judgment. And just as seriously, it leads others there too. Because as Joel said a few weeks ago, whenever we put our trust in somewhere other than Jesus, it encourages other people to do the same. So if we're saying, essentially, I'm a Christian, but I'm a, you know, I can do this thing which is going to be which I'm going to make, you, make known to you and want you to praise me for that's actually going to cause other Christians to want to put their trust in it too and that's serious it causes them to stumble and perhaps will stumble over the same thing that leads to a dead end facing God's judgement too but it is God's kindness isn't it and Jesus' kindness to show us that we're not right with him so that we seek him before he comes again and this is what we're going to sing about in the song we have in just a moment. If he's laid hope in our hearts, it's actually his kindness to us to show us that we're, we're hypocrites. We might be convinced, other people might convince, be convinced, but we're hypocrites. Ask Jesus to be your king. And that means the king of your life. The one who decides and has his priorities set agenda. His desires for people to come to know him. Change you. (laughs) You don't stay the same. You don't sort of come back week from week and as we would do, and you know, same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. But knowing that he won't turn you away, but has died for our forgiveness and can change us and give us a new heart. This is the kind of faith that saves. It's real faith, true faith. Because it's to rely on who Jesus is and not on who we are. And uh, we see that, don't we, in what Jesus says to the disciples in verses 20 to 22. So we're coming to land on those verses. But do heed the warning of the religious leaders. They continued in their stubborn pride. Don't be like them. Um, in these verses, Jesus says that there is a faith, a saving faith. He's mentioned this before, hasn't he? He said that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. Do you remember when he said that? Pretty similar because it talks about moving mountains and stuff like that. Those who have been given faith and respond to him as their king, actually. In the work of getting the gospel out to other people, there won't be any obstacles that will stand in their way. Because Jesus says here, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. Saving faith in Jesus means that his temple is now the church, the people of God. through God's spirit get to take the news about him the truth about him out to the world and he's doing this he's doing this Uh, will we trust him will we ask him as we overcome as we come up against significant hurdles for him to do his work his saving work bringing faith helping people to see who he is to believe in him Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the king, the promised king, the reigning king, the humble king, the one who gave up and laid down his position and looked weak and yet did that. Because he was uh, doing that so that we could come to you. We could have access to you through the cross. Father God, we know that we would want so many other people other than Jesus. We would invent loads of other ways to see him. by the truth of who he is. Maybe because it's more convenient. Maybe because it's more comfortable we thank you for exposing our hearts that we are hypocrites that we perhaps have a lot of leaf but no fruit would you please work uh, to bring about repentance so that our hearts would change and that you being king of our lives would actually result in honour to you that we wouldn't be Christians uh, around other Christians there would be Christians around Uh, the lost, light in the darkness, as you have called us to be. Please put your spirit in us, change us from within, make us useful in your service, we pray. For your glory. Amen.